Welcome back to another episode of the Pin Down. Long time no see. Uh, a lot has a lot has changed since we last talked. A lot of season has happened, uh, and now we are in the play-in tournament. Uh, we got the Timberwolves knocking the Clippers back to the play-in. Uh, Timberwolves secure the seven seed. And the Clippers will face the Pelicans, I believe, tomorrow. And then the Hawks will face the Cavs tomorrow as well. Um, yep. Any uh, any thoughts on these games? Um. Well, for one, I would like to talk about the Pelicans because they're just a phenomenal team. Yes, uh, ever they since are. the CJ, ever since the CJ trade, they've been really good. But like, they looked really good last night against the Spurs. Um, just everything Last was going night they right. looked like a legit playoff team. Like I was like, well, okay, this is a, this is a real playoff team. And I think sometimes we forget that they still don't have their best player. Like that's pretty wild to think about. Like right. their their offense looked phenomenal. They have a great blend of shooting creation while also not. Uh, they still pressure the rim at a good level too. So it's like they have a very well balanced offensive attack, and their defensive discipline just looked phenomenal. I mean. We could talk about Herb Jones all day, but mm-hmm. uh, Jose Alvarado looked phenomenal. Brandon Ingram yeah. looks very engaged. Even Valanciunas is looking like a solid defender at points. And it's just – it's a very, very well put together roster, and it's built specifically for when their best player comes back. So I think uh, whether they make the playoffs this year, I don't know if they'll beat the Clippers. They can compete with the Clippers, I think, for sure. Um but even then, beating them, beating be them, twice, beating them twice in a row is going to be the hard thing, in my opinion. I think I think this could easily be a situation where they beat them once, but beating them twice in a row is where I get a little concerned, particularly if they don't have Zion back. If Zion comes back, all bets are off. There's no telling what's going to happen. But without Zion, it's like, could they beat the Clippers twice in a row? Yeah. Would I put money on it? Probably not. But who knows? Well, they do they have? To, I don't think they have to beat them twice, do they? Is that not how they're doing it this year? I don't think I so. That, I think it's just I think it's just like a seven versus eight, and the loser faces the winner of nine versus ten. I think it's still a single oh, elimination. Okay, gotcha. When you said that, that kind of threw me off. I was like, wait, do they have to beat them twice? Well, <laughs> I don't I, think yeah, they do I that. misunderstood because I, I for some reason that that's how it was in past years, right? Or it wasn't like, like that last year. I think it was maybe because think like about it. Bubble. Memphis only beat Golden State once. That's true. Yeah, you're right. Maybe it was like that in the bubble. I feel like I know what you're talking about, or maybe that was just an idea that got proposed. I can't remember. Maybe I just had but a fe- fever dream or something, man. Who knows? Maybe because I feel like I know what you're talking about. Maybe that was how it was in the bubble. I don't know, but um, I do know. Yeah, the Pelicans only have to beat the Clippers once, which like obviously anything can happen in a single game. You never know who's gonna get hot, who's gonna go cold. But um, I think this bodes well for their future when Zion comes back because it, it he probably will be back day one next season at the latest, right? Like, there's no way yeah. he continues to miss time next year. Um, because this guy's doing like front flip dunks in in the warmups and and in looking like. He's on a trampoline, but he's not he's not healthy enough to play, I guess. But he definitely will be for the start of next season. And oh, yeah. this team with Zion is a very, very good basketball team. Like uh, they, like top five, six seed territory for sure. Yeah, definitely. And like <clears throat> the the thing for me is 
the the Pelicans have been very coy about the the prospect of him returning for the playoffs or even the play-in. And I'll be honest, I just don't buy it. To me, it's it's a situation where they're trying to minimize other teams' ability to game plan for him. And so they're being very coy about it and giving non-answers. Like, our plan is to have Zion Williamson back on, on day one of training camp next year. Um, but, you know, he's out there warming up. And he's he's throwing down some nasty dunks. Here's the thing. The the injury that he had, <clears throat> it's called a Jones fracture, and it's when you fracture the fifth metatarsal in your foot. And the problem with this injury, the reason it's so difficult to heal, is because those are very, very small bones. Uh, they need to stay in one position. You can't put weight on them because if you put weight on them, they're not going to be able to heal right. And the situation with Zion is they would not let him go out there and do stuff like that if that fifth metatarsal wasn't healed. Mm -hmm. So the fact that he's out there doing stuff like that, to me, I see that and I'm like, if he's doing that, he's probably good to play. Mm -hmm. And I think they're waiting for a situation where it's like, we need Zion to play. And to me, it's like this game against the Clippers. It's not like they have their pick this year. They don't have their pick this year. They already have the Lakers top 10 pick. Uh, so to me, why why not just go for it? You know, and obviously you don't want Zion to re-injure himself. But given what we've seen, the fact that they're letting him go out there and throw down 360 dunks like that and all the videos <laughs> we've seen of him being ridiculously explosive any any trainer in their right mind anyone who thinks that someone has the potential to get re-injured they're not going to let them go out there and do that no chance so to yeah. me i see that and i'm like man i i think zion's coming back i really really do if we get a wash bomb tomorrow saying uh zion williamson has been upgraded to questionable for tonight's game it'll be a game time decision or something like that i I would not be surprised one bit. As a matter of fact, I'd probably put a little bit of money on it. I'd be willing to do that if if sports betting was legal where I where I live. But uh, I I really hope he comes back because that's such a fun team. That they're they're a fun team without Zion. You throw Zion in that mix, oh my gosh. Yeah, and I wonder if it's a Jamal Murray situation where it's like he's cleared to play, but. There, uh, he's not mentally there yet, which I can I can totally understand because right. I've never had a major injury, but I I have been around people with major injuries, and uh, they're always hesitant to be the same that they were, and like that's the situation going on with Denver right now with Jamal Murray. He's fully healthy and cleared to play. It's just he's not all the way there yet mentally to where he's gonna he feels comfortable doing that. And right. Like I said, I don't know if that's a situation with Zion that hasn't been disclosed, but like I rem- I can vividly remember them clearing him to play like a month ago. Am I like did I miss something? Do you remember that? Didn't we have yeah, a conversation no, he, about he, that? He was he was like I don't know if he was cleared to play. He was cleared for the the phrasing they used was cleared for basketball activities. That's okay. So, so I don't it's know like, if that means like he can go out there and play a full 36 minutes right now. But to me, that's like, okay, he is able to bear weight on his foot and is able to do things that require explosivity, athleticism, burst things that, you know, you wouldn't be able to do if you were still injured. 
like 360 windmills. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, on the east uh, side. Yeah. Go ahead. We we have Cleveland and Atlanta. Um, which I don't is know interesting. Who I like more in that game. I don't know who I, I who would you the, pick. I, because well, Jared Allen is still 50-50. That like yeah. that was the words he used. He said he's fifty-fifty like a few minutes ago. So, um, honestly, I as 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 like uh, this could sound like kind of casual, uh, but I don't see Trey Young losing this game. Like as weird as it sounds to like give an individual player credit like that, like oh Michael Jordan's getting it done. Like you know, I I don't see Trey Young losing this game to Cleveland. I just don't think they have the pieces to slow down. I feel like he's going to generate a shot every single time down the court. Um, Jared Allen coming back would would hurt his ability to do that a bit, but like, as the Cavs currently stand, and even if Jared Allen comes back, I don't know if he'll be 100. He's still feeling pain um, in his hand. He said that, and it's just the Hawks, their defense is is very problematic. So, the way to beat Atlanta at this point right now they're seven and three in their last ten, by the way. Like they're they're on a hot streak, and the Cavs have been struggling. The right. thing is, to beat Atlanta, you have to outgun them. They have the number two offense and like the number twenty seven defense or something like that. It's absurd. Mm-hmm. Do the Cavs have the pieces to just outgun Atlanta? I don't think so. I just, I just. They're relying so much on <clears throat> on Darius Garland just being insane and dropping thirty or twenty five plus, and you know Darius Garland has progressed a ridiculous amount as a scorer. Don't get me wrong, and I'm not trying to discredit him at all because Darius Garland is one of my favorite players in the entire league right now. But with that being said, he only averaged around like nineteen and a half points per game this season. It's not like he was putting up twenty five a night. Now, granted. He has been absurd since the All-Star break. He was like top three in scoring in the entire league for like two or three weeks after the All-Star break on really solid efficiency. So I don't know how much they're going to be able to continue to lean on him to keep them in games because you saw in, in the Nets game, they were they were riding him into the ground like he had to he had to do everything in order to get them in that game and keep them there. And even though they lost, I mean, they wouldn't have been in that game if it wasn't for him. I mean, he just had clutch bucket after clutch bucket in that game. So mm-hmm. they need Mobley. And I'm not saying it's realistic because it's, it's a lot to ask a rookie to just step up and, and, and score more points. Like you can't, you can't expect a rookie to just come in and, and score a bunch of points unless they're like a generational scoring player. And Evan Mobley right now is not, really that and I, I I'm not sure how high his ceiling is as far as scoring goes but I definitely think he will be a good scorer it's just right now that's a lot to put on on the shoulders of a guy like that so they need they need a big contribution from a Kevin Love who granted has been playing absolutely incredible but if it's just Garland and Kevin Love having to do it all you know you really need a guy like Isaac Okoro to step up someone like that to to get them in a position where they could actually compete with Atlanta's offense, because Atlanta, you know, they're going to score points. They're going to put up 120 if they want to. And if the, if the shots are falling, they're going to have no problem putting the points on the board. So no matter how good your defense is, it's not going to matter. Yeah. I was going to say, I think Kevin love is the X factor. Like, cause Kevin love has those games. It was just like two games ago. He had what? 32 points in 14 minutes. (laughs) Like, 
Like, what is that, right? You never know when Kevin Love is just going to catch fire because um, he just has those type of performances. I mean, he, he to me, is the X factor. But even then, like you said, it's just Garland and Love. Garland is, like, he's a great scorer, but um, you're not expecting him to get 35 points in a huge game like this, especially because in a situation like this, granted, Atlanta's defense is very problematic, but in game, playoff atmosphere type games where where opponents are scheming more, you see players' weaknesses start to get taken advantage of. If you think about Lamelo, uh, yesterday just yesterday, uh, he was what seven for twenty five. They took advantage of him not being able to finish at the rim and just baited him into long floaters the whole time. It was yeah. just bad floater after bad floater. Well, Garland has a similar problem where um, he's not the greatest finisher at the rim yet. He he struggles. Uh, with with uh, str- he struggles scoring over rim protectors and things like that. And granted, like right, I said, he's, Atlanta he's doesn't very, have a good. He, he's really crafty, but it's there's still like a disconnect between the craftiness and the ability to convert on those shots. Right, right, and like I said, Atlanta doesn't have a good defense, but they have Clint Capella, who is still a very, very good rim protector. So yep. I feel like they would do a good job at forcing Garland to to hit his jumpers and a good jump shooter, but. There's a lot of variance in that, and and that's when you'll see those volatile performances like the 7 for 25s, but also the Kyrie Irving 12 for 13s. It's just, it's very volatile. You don't know what you're going to get in a type of game like this, and I think that's what makes it so entertaining because we we really don't know what we're going to get. We don't know if Kevin Love's going to not score a point or score 30. We don't know if Darius Garland is going to hit all of his jumpers. I think the one thing we do know is that Trey Young is going to generate a lead offense, though, and that's why I'm going with Atlanta. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, if I had to put money on it, I would probably put my money on Atlanta. But I do still think the Cavs have some semblance of a shot. I'm not going to count that. I, I'm not going to count them out completely. But, you know, gun to my head, you, you, you're making me put 100 bucks on, on a team. I'm, I'm, I'm going with Atlanta. I, I, I just can't bet. I, Trey Young has proven time and time again that he's built for the bright lights. It's like, I'm not going to bet against a guy like that, especially in a play-in game against a team that has unfortunately struggled with a lot of injuries this year and hasn't been able to kind of put it together over this last stretch of the season. Well, also, one more point to that. Um, I never really looked into this, but looking at it now in the standings, I wonder how much of this will actually come into play. The Cavs are 25-16 and at home because they have home in this game. The Mm. Cavs are 25-16 and at home. And Atlanta is 16 and 25 on the road. So that could be interesting. I wonder if that'll come into play Um, because Atlanta is one of the best home teams in the league. Like they have, they have the same home record as Milwaukee, but the road games is the ones that that they're losing. That could just be due to the schedule. I don't have to look into it, but um, I'm still going with Atlanta, but I wonder if that will have an effect. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I think, Especially uh, in that Pelicans game last, the Pelicans and the Timberwolves game. I mean, the sixth man of those games was the crowd. Uh, those games were completely different because of home court advantage. That Timberwolves Emma. crowd was absurd. I haven't Emma. seen I haven't seen a Timberwolves crowd that that hyped since you know the Kevin Garnett era. The 04 Western Conference semis. That's, that was yeah. reminding me of when Kevin Garnett secured the game seven and jumped up on the scores table like Pat Bev. <laughs> but, uh, 
Dude, I um, loved it. I, I, real quick, I want to talk about it. that. I love I, it. I, people who complain about how hard they were celebrating have never played sports in their lives. I don't exactly. care. It could have been, it could have been a regular season game, and they did that. I wouldn't care. It, right. Sports are very emotionally charged. That was a highly contested game. They came back after consistently going down throughout the game upwards of 10 points, and they consistently fought back in that game and ultimately won it. I don't care how ridiculous it looks. I don't care how cool you think players should play it after they win a game and act like they should be act like they've been there before. The Timberwolves haven't been there in a really long time. I know they made the playoffs in 2018. I to me that's that team didn't have the same vibe that this team does. It almost feels like that, that, team, team, that, that team was that, weird. Sometimes I feel like that 2018 team doesn't actually exist. It's just a Dude, it's same. our imagination. Like that team it's didn't a blip actually in the happen. Radar. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But this team is for real. Like this team, you feel the energy and excitement. And I like mm. how you brought up being an actual athlete because I've had tournaments growing up, like AAU, middle school, high school, different tournaments where it's like. You get so emotionally invested and intense when the game starts and you're just like you're so locked in. And it's like once that final buzzer sounds, it's like a release of all of that. It's like, oh, yeah. Oh, my God, we did it. Like it's a it's a huge release of all of that pent up anger and intensity and energy you spent actually yeah. getting in that position to win the game. So that celebration to me wasn't overdoing it. It wasn't corny. Um, it was them releasing those emotions after fighting so hard to win that game. And I think they deserve it. They deserve yeah. it. And and especially like people were clowning on Pat Bev so hard. And there's a lot of reasons to make fun of Pat, Patrick Beverly. I, I understand that. But this game, him being as emotional and as like playing to the crowd as he was, he had every reason in the world to do that. The Clippers basically gave up on him. They got rid of him with, with the Paul George and Kawhi thing where that locker room was reportedly not big fans of what was going on. And so they shipped him off and then he bounced around uh, the Timberwolves. And then the Timberwolves were like, we'll take this guy. This guy, he's our, he's our guy. We love this guy. And he, we're going we're gonna to have him play a massive role for our team. And he stepped up and exceeded expectations, in my opinion. I think a lot of people thought Patrick Beverly was going to kind of transition into the Jared Dudley phase of his career. That's not the case. Patrick Beverly is still a productive NBA player. And I understand he's not going to go out there and drop you know, and he's not going to go out there and drop 10 plus points per game. He's not going to go out there and be dishing out dimes or anything like that, but he's going to play great defense and he's going to keep your team calm, which I think is one of the most important things that a veteran can do when they're actually getting playing time is just keep your guys calm. Carl Anthony Towns was beyond flustered that entire game. Anthony Edwards could have shrunk in, in just gone into a shell and done nothing but Patrick Beverly and also D'Angelo Russell and I want to talk about D'Angelo Russell a little bit more uh, in, in a second but you know Patrick Beverly kept them cool kept them in that game he played good defense he played to the crowd which in my opinion if you can get the crowd rocking you're, you you got to do antics to do that cool do it that, that'll help you win games. That's part of NBA basketball is playing to the crowd, playing to the refs and getting them on your side. I don't care what anyone says. You may not like it, but it's the truth. Yeah, and it's it's very interesting because 
Um, I mean, it's pretty funny. My brother, right when the game started, uh, it was after the Nets game. And right when the game started, like you could just feel the energy, like the Minnesota energy was just crazy. And my brother texts me right when the game starts. He goes, uh, this crowd is lit. I love it. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, yeah. And then he goes, Pat Bev is a menace. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, he is. I mean, that's what he does. He, he gets the crowd into it. And mm-hmm. Pat Bev is one of those guys that, like you said, he's not going to score a lot of points. He's not going to get do anything flashy, but he can initiate the offense. He's one of the best point of attack defenders of, of recent memory. He's a very good basketball player, and he has he's a very impactful player. It's pretty cool. Um, he's played what ten seasons now, ten mm-hmm. seasons in the league. His teams are a plus six with him on the floor, and he has a plus four on off over his career. That's an impactful career. Like, there's only one season in his entire career that he didn't have a positive on-off of his entire career. And every single time, he's never been on a team that wasn't at least a plus two with him on the floor. Think about that. His teams are always good. And it's not just him being in the right situation at the right time. He's an impactful player. Those Clippers teams, before PG and Kawhi got there, he was a very impactful player playing next to James Harden in Houston. Uh, Now in Minnesota, he's just a very impactful basketball player. It's what he does. And now, while I don't agree with, uh, I think it was Kevin Harlan saying he was the most impactful Minnesota player this season. I don't agree with that, but uh, that might be overdoing it a little bit, but. He's a very impactful basketball player, and guys like that, you, you need energy guys like that. He's almost, uh, I, he's clearly not at this level, but he's almost playing the Draymond Green role for Minnesota uh, from like a team energy standpoint. Uh, he's the guy that keeps everything in control and just gets the crowd into it, and you need energy like that to compete in these tough, tough games. Yeah. Do they have a chance against the Grizzlies? I think they do. I mean... I think some people are overdoing it with saying like, oh, Minnesota matches up so well. They're going to they're going to completely outplay Memphis. I've seen a lot of those takes. I still think Memphis is like the the comfortably better team. Like Memphis is very good. I think I think they're one of those teams that people are kind of like they're kind of off people's radar. But like Memphis is really freaking good at basketball. Mm -hmm. Like it's not a mistake that they're 21 and three or whatever without John Moran or 21 and four, whatever they are like. They're very, very good at basketball on both ends of the floor. They have a top five offense and defense. That's rare. That's rare. And yeah, I with I think it's going to be a better series than people are giving it credit for. I think a lot of people are kind of writing it off as like I've seen some people. The 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 predominant sentiment that I've seen from people has been that the Grizzlies are going to mop the floor with the Timberwolves. There have been some Timberwolves fans that I've seen that are like, we're going to obliterate them, but Really, the, the the prevailing sentiment that I've seen has been that the Grizzlies are going to mop the floor with the Timberwolves. This is a series that if it went to seven games, I wouldn't be surprised at I all. I wouldn't be surprised at all, no. As a matter of fact, are... I think it's more likely this, this series goes to seven games than it is that it's a series that finishes in four or five games. Yeah, this is going to be I a long my, series. I think my real pick would be Memphis in six. Um, there would be a lot more into that. Like, I still don't know how to feel about Carl Anthony Towns in a playoff setting. And this isn't just me yep. talking about the play in like, okay, 
the, the Timberwolves have a very good starting five, right? Like, right. They, they have a very good blend of offense and defense. A lot of that defense comes from Jared Vanderbilt. He's mm-hmm. like the free safety. He controls everything. He's their roamer. He's their, he's their primary rim protector. He's in every action. Like he is their best defensive player and their most valuable defensive player. But when you're playing a team like Memphis, he's almost virtually unplayable. You got to think about, so Carl Anthony Towns clearly has a, a problem where teams can stick wings on him and he doesn't take advantage of it. It reminds mm-hmm. me of young Dirk. That was a problem with young Dirk. Dallas's teams would finish with like 60 wins and they would be like first or second round exits. And everyone was like, what in the world teams would stick wings on Dirk. And that would take away the value of that spacing of, of him pulling out rim protectors and things like that. And it would make everything much harder. The thing with cat yeah. is you're facing a team that has Jaron Jackson jr. And I'm assuming the Memphis would be comfortable running him at the five a lot because it's going to be, they're going to, I wouldn't be surprised if they're small ball the whole series. Right. Like, like Steven Adams will get some run because he's a huge pick and roll. He's huge for their offense. Like their pick and roll, their offensive rebounding. He's a good passer. Um, He's a good two man player with jaw, but like, yeah, Jaron Jackson at the five minutes, if you put him on Vando and let him just roam, while Cat is getting picked up by someone like Kyle Anderson, Minnesota's offense would have problems. They would have to live on tough shot making from Ant and D'Lo. And mm-hmm. while the Clippers did the same thing where they uh, put a wing on Cat, uh, it was Batum, I think, and they just kind of uh, took away, took him out of the game. Essentially, the problem yeah. is they didn't have a Jaron Jackson Jr. Anthony Edwards. Right is a phenomenal slasher. He's not going to score 20 something points at the rim with Jaron Jackson jr. There. It's just no. not going to happen. And it's like, that for me is the one big issue. Can cat overcome these deficiencies and actually still uh, provide the regular season impact we've seen from him this year. I don't know if he can. And I think that's uh, the big X factor in this series is Carl Anthony towns, individual play. Yeah. The the thing that frustrated me in that Clippers game is they were and I, I don't want to like blame like their facilitators for doing this. I mean, it's Carl Anthony Towns. You got to give him the ball. He's like the best score on your team uh, in a vacuum. So uh, I don't want to give grief to D'Lo or Patrick Beverly for for running the offense through him. But it really frustrated me seeing them give him the ball so many times at the elbow or above the break. And he was like trying to run the offense through the top of the key. And I was like, that's just cat has good passing ability, but it's not good enough that you can be like Jokic running the offense from the top of the key. Like you're just not, you're not that guy, pal. So seeing (laughs) him try to run the offense through there, it was really frustrating because when he gets the ball, his bread and butter as far as playmaking goes is when he gets a post up in the low post and guys are cutting to the basket and in and out of the paint, you know, creating chaos and, and creating open looks. Cat's really, really good at finding cutters to the basket when he gets a post up. He can't do that when he's above the break. He's not very good at penetrating defenses to get closer to the basket from the top of the key or from the elbow. He needs to be fed in the low post and he needs to understand that he really shouldn't be coming out that high. He needs to stay low and near the basket so that he's able to find cutters. When you're looking at the when you're looking at the court from 
from the top of the key, you're not going to be able to find cutters unless you're you're Jokic or someone like that. You know, he, he mm-hmm. he's just not capable of doing it. He's he doesn't have that level of floor vision. He doesn't have that level of playmaking ability. So really, to me, one of the big factors, if his scoring is still not going to be up to par, which I, I doubt it will be simply because they're going to throw Jaron Jackson Jr. at him. And I think Jaron Jackson Jr. is going to make his life chaos. Uh, to me, I'm like, give him the ball in the low post, feed him in the paint and let him find cutters and facilitate the offense through there. Because Jared Vanderbilt, good cutter. Uh, Jaden McDaniels, good cutter. Ant, pretty good cutter, honestly. I've been surprised with his cutting ability. Um, He's gotten a lot better at working off ball and and moving uh, when he doesn't have the ball in his hands. So I really think that's going to be the key if he can't get his scoring game going. you got to feed him in the low post and let, let him find cutters because otherwise... He just can't score from from outside the paint, really, unless he's taking wide open catch and shoot threes or getting the ball in transition or uh, getting a post up where he's able to to get a mismatch and, and beat the smaller guy. The problem is with that is that Cat just isn't a good post scorer. That's the only thing like yep. he, he used to be. I remember when he came into the league, he was one of the best post scorers, uh, best young post scorers, I should say, in the league. Yeah. But at this point, he lost some weight, which has helped him on defense. But like he, I, he couldn't move Reggie Jackson in the play. And like he had a, he had a post up on Reggie Jackson. He couldn't move him w- mm-hmm. while backing down. Like I just the thing with me is I love Cat off the ball because I think he has two very, very unique skills. One he's the best three-point shooting big man we've ever seen. That's Mm -hmm. one very unique skill he has. Two, I don't know if I've ever seen a player of his size be able to attack off the catch for drives as well as he does. Like, when he gets the ball at the top of the key, those quick, like, shot fake jab drives, like, He's a wrecking ball. He and he's such a talented finisher. So See, it's that's like, the thing that that's the thing that frustrates me though is that when he's getting the ball, at least lately, and, and in that Clippers game when he was getting the ball at the top of the key, he wasn't making those quick movements and, and trying to burst quickly. He was taking too much time, and I'm like, you have to attack the basket because that's your game. That's what works. Right, Cat's game is almost like a. Um, we saw it with James Harden where it was like he would start at the top of the key and his isolations were to either get to the rim or, or step back for a three. There wasn't much in between for a lot of years. That's mm-hmm. kind of what cat is with more off ball stuff. Like he'll cat. He's a great catch and shoot player, but also he can attack off the catch and get all the way to the rim. He's not a good mid range shooter. He doesn't have much of a post game anymore. So it's like, it's just so two dimensional almost one dimensional way because it's almost all coming off the catch that it's like i think utilizing him as an as an off-ball player as much as you can is your best chance like let d'lo and initiate the offense and like you said or even bev and like you said they were trying to feed him touches at the top of the key it's fine those top of the key touches are good for cat when he when you pull his defender away from him first and he has a little bit of room but giving him the ball to like face up from 25 feet out for an isolation like He's not Kevin Durant. He's not right. LeBron James. He's not gonna. You're not gonna give the ball to Cat, and he's gonna do a series of jab steps, and then and then pull up for an elbow mid range jumper. That's just not gonna happen. So like, why are you giving him the ball there? And 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 then once he gets the ball, why does he not know to keep the offense going? Why does he think he's that player? I don't. Right. 
I, I don't know, but I think taking Cat off the ball as much as you can is, is just what makes Minnesota's offense work so well. And it's like you have D'Lo, who's one of the very best playmakers and passers in the game. Take right. advantage of it, right? Mm-hmm. I, I really appreciated that we got to see some of that, like, D'Lo takeover. Uh, we, we saw it uh, earlier on in his career, but just seeing him – take over the scoring aspect of that game in the fourth quarter. That was so much fun, dude. I, I missed that so much. I love D'Lo. I've always loved D'Lo. Like, he's just – you can you can find reasons to, to be lower on him. Like, sure, he's not the most efficient scorer or he's not the most dominant on-ball defender. But, like, I mean, he's one of – I don't have a list, but, like, He's one of the best passers in basketball. He's a phenomenal passer. Oh, he's he can he's, do he's, everything. To me, he's easily top fifteen. I think there's probably. I mean, I don't have a comprehensive list here. I'm sure there's probably an argument you could make that he's a top ten passer in the NBA. Right. He can he can do everything as a passer, pretty much. Um, yeah. he can he can create from everywhere as a scorer and a playmaker. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of like their defensive quarterback, like. He calls out all the switches. He's the guy that is is meant to map the floor and call out everything, um, as like an as like a roamer, and he just kind of just does whatever he wants. And it's like right. he's a he's a very valuable player, and I don't think he's gotten enough credit for what he's done this year. I think he got a lot of credit for what he did with the Nets that year, and ever since then he's kind of just fallen off the radar. But like, I feel comfortable saying this is the best D'Lo we've ever seen. Like from a complete player standpoint, oh, I don't yeah, think he's ever been better than this. I agree wholeheartedly yeah and i just um, think man i just i just love his game so much i just love the Timberwolves team in general like i love everything about it i love d'lo i love anthony mm-hmm. edwards i love patrick beverly i love cat i love vanderbilt i've always loved vanderbilt i was talking about vanderbilt in the offseason i was like if minnesota wants to make the playoffs they need to start starting bando like this yep. dude's awesome and it's just mm-hmm. they have such a good culture going on there like with their young players and the energy and the fans and just everyone getting into it and I'm really excited to see Minnesota, not only in just these playoffs against Memphis, because Memphis is another crowd that's probably going to get very loud in the playoffs. Oh my gosh, yeah, it's not, <laughs> uh, good luck. Yeah, like, like I can't, I know we're going to see at least one job ja poster on Cat, and I already know Memphis is going <laughs> to, job ja, ja better dunk on Cat, I need that, but. Uh, yeah, and I love Cat, yeah, but I still want to see that just for, just for the highlights sake. Right, right, and just, just hearing the crowd get, get so turned, but like. Yeah, no, Memphis and Minnesota are two teams that I can't wait, not only wait to see play, but I can't wait to see how their futures turn out because they both have, they're both building very, very good futures right now. For sure. So on the flip side, uh, that was the 2-7 matchup in the Western Conference. On the flip side, we got the 2-7 matchup in the Eastern Conference between the Brooklyn Nets and the Boston Celtics. And, you know, the Celtics don't have Rob Williams. Uh, The Nets really relying 100% on Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving to do pretty much everything for them. Um, Kevin Durant has been basically like operating as their primary playmaker and doing a very great job at that. But what is your, do you, do you think Boston, let me, let me say this. I think Boston has more of a shot in this series than people think. Boston and six. That's what I'm saying. That's I what I'm saying. That. I don't hate that. I, 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 even though, okay, so let me put it this way. Robert Williams is out, right? 
Mm-hmm. He's their primary rim protector and pick and roll big. Um, he's huge on both ends of the floor for them. With Robert Williams, I had Boston making the finals. I had them beating Milwaukee. I had them making it out of the East. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I um, was with you on that. I don't know if Robert Williams is a, is a player for me to say swings them from a finals team to a first round exit. Granted, it is Brooklyn, but like just just the overall premise of swinging from a final team to a first round exit to me. I don't know if Robert Williams is that, you know, like, I don't think he's the player that swings right. that much. And the, go ahead. I was going to say, I, I just. We saw – my problem is I don't like using one-game samples, but Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant both played almost to, like, the peak of their game. Like, Kevin Durant was doing everything as a playmaker and defender while scoring, like, 25. Kyrie missed one shot the whole game, and they yeah. didn't even beat the Cavs by double digits without their arguably their best player. Like, am I missing something here? Could I could be wrong. I feel like not only me, but the basketball community as a whole has a – very, very consistent uh, tendency to just uh, underrate Kevin Durant. <laughs> like, I feel like w- collectively we all sometimes just forget what he's capable of and then he just mm-hmm. proves it again and again and again what he can actually do. Like, in that Milwaukee yeah. series especially, I remember I made a tweet uh, when James Harden and Kyrie were out and he had a really bad game three or game four. I made a tweet. I was like, man, uh, Kevin Durant clearly still has some issues being the primary initiator of an offense. Like with him, with the ball in his hands being the primary, like dominant ball, dominant creator. Uh, I still don't know if he's that caliber of offensive engine. The next game he had like 50 and 10. I was like, all right, yeah. dude, I was like, I was like, all right, I lied, bro. I lied. But like, even now, like, uh, I feel like I could be underrating them. Like Kevin Durant is that guy. He's really freaking good. And and Boston just doesn't have a player of that caliber. As good as Jason Tatum is, they don't have somebody to match Kevin Durant's production. And right. uh, I think that would be Brooklyn's uh, big thing. Like if they can just overpower them with star power. Um, yeah. But like still I'm going with Boston. Uh, I could just be dying on the hill of I want Boston to make the finals, so I'm trying to just hold them off until Rob Will gets back. But I'm going with Boston. That's my pick. Uh, in six is my pick. But I wouldn't be surprised if Brooklyn sent them home in five. It's a very swingable series. Yeah, there's always the the Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving factor that you got to take into account when you're, when you're considering a series like this. But th- like you said, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving literally needed to do everything. Kyrie Irving needed to only miss one shot for them to still win that game. Not that it was like an incredibly like absolute nail biter. They still won by a fair amount of points. It was never really in danger simply because at the end it was primarily inbound fouls. And obviously when you're fouling Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, they're going to knock down their free throws. Uh, But there was so much during that game from Brooklyn the Cavs clearly look looked like shaken up, like they looked nervous out there, except for like Kevin Love and, and Darius Garland, who obviously, um, you know, they both played really, really well. Um, the, the Cavs look visibly nervous. The Celtics are not going to be nervous. Jason Tatum has been making the playoffs for his what his entire career now. Uh, yeah, and he's had he's deep runs, East, too. He's deep been to the runs. Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, Jalen Brown, same deal. Marcus Smart, same deal. Al Horford, same deal. This is just a team. 
chock full of veteran players. Derek White's been on that Spurs team for a while, getting getting prepped by by Greg Popovich for for these kinds of moments. I mean, they've got a, an amazing defensive coach and Ime Udoka. Uh, their offense has looked really, really good. Uh, and then with Brooklyn, it's like, yeah, you have you have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Don't get me wrong. But Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, you know, they still showed their weaknesses last year in the playoffs. Uh, and and I understand injuries were a factor there, particularly against the Bucks with Kyrie Irving going down with that sprained ankle. But uh, they still have their weaknesses. And and it's two players. It's only two players. Yeah, they don't have Joe Harris. They don't have Ben Simmons. They have Joe ben Simmons. They're, relying, they're relying on Kessler Edwards to play significant minutes. Like, are you kidding right. me? Like, right. when, when you have Kessler Ed- Edwards out there trying to defend the best player on the other team, I mean, good luck. It's it's that's tough to 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 look at and to see and see some of the guys that they're they're throwing out there that are just not capable of of playing those bigger roles. And it's tough to look at that and just be like, yeah, they're going to steamroll Boston. I just can't do it. I can't do it. If anything, if Brooklyn, if I were to see Brooklyn winning this series, it would not be an easy series for them. They would they would definitely come out of there with some lumps because Boston at the bare minimum is going to push you to the brink. They could easily take this game to seven, the series to seven games. If it gets to that point, it's not going to be easy for Brooklyn to win. Granted, personally, I'm taking Boston. I think Boston is going to win this yeah. series. I, I think honestly, and this is probably gonna be a hot take, but to me, the difference between that Cavs team and this Celtics team is massive. And Brooklyn skated by barely and got mm-hmm. out of there. This yeah. Boston team, you're not going to be able to get by like that. Even if Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are absolutely incredible, you're not going to be able to get by like you did against the Cavs. To me, yeah, 100%. There's, there's a possibility that this is like – a five-game series for Boston, and, and they come out of there with a win. Uh, if yeah, that happened, I wouldn't be surprised. I really do think like that team is that good that they're going to fluster the absolute crap out of everyone not named Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Also, Kyrie Irving's track record in Boston since leaving Boston is not good. Yeah, who knows what will happen with that. I, I don't even – I was just going to ask you if you think he'll be flustered or what will happen there because like – I'm actually that's a, curious. That's an interesting dynamic. And yeah, I I know he's had one one really big game since then, but if I recall correctly, his numbers in Boston since being traded or since leaving Boston are not that good. And also, I don't know how much merit you put into a stat like this, but in 61 games with Robert Williams, the Celtics had a plus eight net rating. Okay, plus eight with him. In 21 games without him, a plus seven. And they shoot worse from three. So it's not like it's some shooting luck thing or uh, anything like that. They're just they're just such a good team. They're so deep. And their top six or seven guys are just so good. Um, I I don't know. Boston, Robert Williams, the effect of his, his play could be felt more in a playoff setting than a regular season that I'm giving it credit for. But, like, man... That's just a good team, and that's in count. That's accounting for the whole year. That's not just twenty twenty two. 
in the calendar year 2022, they've, they've been like one of the best teams of all time. Like they've been outstanding at everything across the board. So it's like, mm-hmm. I think people are, uh, somewhat overrating the value of star power versus a well-oiled machine but also on the same front i see where you're they're coming from because star power in many cases has overpowered uh Mm. a great team so it'll be interesting that's a good series for sure yeah uh so the next matchup that i wanted to talk about is uh the bulls and the bucks to me we can talk about it if you want, but to me, that series it's, is pretty clear. I mean, it's the not even worth talking series. about. Yeah. The Bulls are winning four, obviously. A much more interesting matchup is going to be the 76ers versus the Raptors, which just from like a pure basketball perspective, I am absolutely just stoked out of my mind to watch what Nick Nurse does against Joel Embiid. Yeah, I I don't even I I'm not making a pick for this series. I don't know. I I have I no know. idea. I would, like I think uh, I think Philly has, and like gut feeling makes me lean the Raptors, but I don't know. Same, same, and that's the thing. Philly has the talent edge, but like Toronto, they're a team, man. They're like they're 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 a team, and they've been and on Thibel, fire lately. <laughs> Matisse Thibel can't play in Toronto. He's not allowed. That might be a good thing. I was actually thinking about that. I've, I've been talking with some really? Sixers fans. They've been saying that they don't want Thibel to play in the series because they know Nick Nurse is the type of coach to make Thibel unplayable, and Doc Rivers isn't the type of coach to make that adjustment. So right. that could be interesting because I know a lot of Sixers fans who would rather see Danny Green getting those minutes next to Embiid where it's much harder to double off him because Toronto's going to send the kitchen sink at Joel Embiid. They're going to send yeah. everything at him. Everything. And um, I, I don't know. I don't know how he'll react. I know he's an improved decision maker and passer, but can he do it at a high level for that many games against such a well-disciplined defense with so much length? It'll be interesting. It'll be very yeah. interesting. I think, yeah, like you said, gut feeling makes me want to go with the Raptors, but like either way, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm just – I'm very uh, curious to see what actually happens. Yeah, me too. Uh, moving on to, we can't really talk about the one-seeded Heat simply because we don't know who they're going to be going up against. They're going to put up a fight against whoever they play, uh, unless it's the Bucks. I think I do think the Bucks kind of have the Heat's number. Um, I know Heat fans will probably get mad at me for saying that, but uh, if the if the Heat were to see the Bucks again, I, I still think the Bucks would. I mean, to me, the Bucks just haven't figured out. I mean, that last playoff series was like damning. Like watching how the Bucks completely dismantled Miami's defense, seeing how they completely shut down Jimmy Butler in that series and made him a complete non-factor. I mean, he might as well just not have played. So... To me, I understand that the Heat have this great culture and they've got a bunch of dogs and all that and you know, they got a they've they've got a mentality and a chip on their shoulder where they're going to come out there and fight and they took their lumps so now they're going to be better for it, but you know, that passion and that culture and all that is great. It's totally fine. But what's going to win you the what's going to win you basketball games is your production on the court. And the Heat still have weaknesses. We've seen it. They had they had a pretty bad, pretty, pretty bad slump 
in in the last 75% of the season or uh, last probably 60 to 75% of the season. That was a rough stretch for them. And we really saw their weaknesses on full display there. So, you know, not to get too off track since we don't even know if they'll see each other in the playoffs, but, you know, if the Bucks and the Heat meet up in the playoffs, I'm going Bucks, man. Yeah, I agree. And what, what what's more interesting to me is, like, um, again, this is a hypothetical series, but, like, I, I don't want to make Heat fans mad, but, like, how would you feel about a Heat and Raptors series? Mm. That's like, a tough one. That's interesting to me. I think uh, so. I so the interesting thing to me is that is that Nick Nurse is the the guy who can shut down any superstar. He does not let superstars have big nights <laughs> against the Raptors. He just won't allow it. And he's like, mm-hmm. "All right, I'm I'm cool with allowing the other guys on the team to have to go off." He's like, "I'll live with that. If they go off and have a big game, that's fine. I'm not letting the star player pop off and have a big night against us." But I mean, with the Heat. You know, they have Jimmy Butler, but they don't have like superstars. Jimmy Butler, I think we can all agree that Jimmy Butler is not a superstar. I don't think that's a hot take. So yeah, no, there's only like a few superstars in the league. Right. And I think that's serious. <laughs> I don't know. That's a tough one. You got me thinking a little bit. It's interesting. And and also, I feel like part of us, like, I feel like this is uh, kind of like the Kevin Durant thing where I feel like we could just be underrating the heat. Like. They've yeah, had injuries totally. all year, people in and out of the lineup constantly, uh, like the 12th man getting starter minutes and things like that. And they've consistently been the number one team in the East. So that'll be interesting. And I wouldn't be surprised if the Heat are just very, very good in the playoffs like they were in 2020. I wouldn't be surprised. Like they have yeah. the players to do that. The Kyle Lowry edition will, will sh- show a lot more value in the playoffs um, for how their offense functions. But like, yeah, no, the Heat are a very good team, and uh, I I feel like we could be underrating them, but obviously they do still have their flaws, um, and some of those flaws are more apparent, apparent than other contenders. I definitely think so. Yeah, I would agree with that. So anyways, moving on from a hypothetical series that we don't even know if it's going to happen, uh, we can move over to a matchup that I'm sure you're excited for, uh, and I'm excited for as well. Uh, I know you're you're a you're a bigger Steph Curry fan than I. I, li- I like Steph Curry a lot, but I know you love Steph Curry. You love Nikola Jokic. What's your thought on this series? Steph and Curry and Jokic in a playoff series sounds like a lot of content for me. I'm not gonna lie, but yeah, um, totally. I remember. So, so th- I don't want to get too off track, but someone actually DM me. Um, me and him made a bet. Uh, earlier in the season that if the Raptors completed their seven game win streak, I would have to make a video on them. They did. And I haven't made a video yet, but I asked him, I was like, gosh, I was like, what kind of video would you want to see if I did a Raptors video? And he was like, um, yeah, anything. I was like, I think I might, uh, do like a breakdown on how Nick nurse approaches Joel Embiid. Like, I think that'd be a pretty fun video. Mm -hmm. And he's like, yeah, breaking down single playoff games like that would be a lot of daily content. He's like, just don't make one on every single game of the Warriors and Nuggets series because I know how you are. And I was like, damn, dude. Like, <laughs> like Steph Curry and the Warriors going against Nikola Jokic sounds like content heaven for me. Like, those are the yeah. two dudes that I make, like, all my content on. But uh, mm-hmm. in all seriousness, like, 
the Warriors are just a way better team than Nuggets. Like, let's just get that out of the way. They're just a way they better are. team. They are. They, they just totally. are. Like, Steph Curry, and Steph Curry's confirmed for game one. So, like, Steph Curry, Jordan Poole, Klay Thompson, Andrew Wiggins, Draymond Green, Kevon Looney, Gary Payton. That's seven right there. That's a seven-man lineup. I might be missing someone. I'm just going off to Otto Porter, I guess. But, like, that's a seven, eight-man rotation that – there's no flaws, really. Like, that's a really, really good lineup, besides maybe size and rebounding. And, like, sure, Jokic is going to dominate them. I, I have no doubt that Jokic is going to have, like, this all-time great series. But I don't think it's to the point where the Nuggets are going to be pushing the Warriors to the brink of first-round elimination. People right. forget that the Warriors started off the season 28-6. and six. They're a yeah. good basketball team. And they didn't even have Klay Thompson. Klay Thompson in his last five is averaging, like, 36 this team with Clay Thompson, like, I think the Warriors compete with the Suns. I don't know why this is such a – this is a series that's getting so blown up. Like, I could be underrating the Nuggets. I don't really think I am. Who knows if Jamal Murray's going to come back. But, like, I just don't see the Nuggets competing with the Warriors. I see them stealing a few games. Like, Jokic will get them a couple games, I think maybe one or two. But, um, ultimately, I don't see this as a very winnable series for Denver personally. Yeah, I I think I'd agree with that. Even if Jamal, the reports about Jamal Murray, I haven't seen him talked about a lot. They're they're really concerning. Um, that he's he's fully healed, but it's a it's a mental block that's keeping him from returning. And to me, what that tells me is, even if he does return, we saw it with Gordon Hayward who came back from that devastating injury. You know, it took him a while to get back to even somewhat close to what he was in Utah, and. You know, it's going to be a similar situation with Jamal Murray. The fact that it's a mental roadblock for him, even if he does come back, he's he's still going to be dealing with that on the court. That's not something that goes away shortly. That's something you have to play through and and you know work off the court with like a professional to to get through that. And mm-hmm. that's like really concerning to me. Even if he does come back, which who knows if he even will come back, it's kind of looking unlikely at this point. Uh, but like you said, I think Jokic could probably take a game or two off them. Uh, but it's really to me, unless Jokic has just all time, an all time great playoff series where he's just like, you know, averaging stupid numbers like 30, 33 points, 15 rebounds, and 10 assists per game. It just seems <laughs> unlikely that they're going to come out of there with with uh, hey. a, a second-round playoff berth. At this point, I wouldn't rule that out of, the, out of That's possibilities. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying it's like, <laughs> if, it happened, if it happened, I'd be like, okay, well, it's Nikola Jokic, so <laughs> I, I guess so. But, yeah, it just seems unlikely to me. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, So, sticking on the topic of – Injured point guards. This is a very, oh very, gosh. very crazy transition. But uh, Mavericks and Jazz, <laughs> um, dude, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna cry. I'm so ah, upset, man. I'm, 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 I'm very upset uh, that we don't get to see playoff Luca right away. Who knows if we'll see him at all? But it's confirmed that he's missing probably game one and two. And it's he'll like, be back. He'll be back. Oh, man, I just I, I doubt I highly doubt even if it's a situation where he's going to play injured, I he'll come back. But yeah, game one and two, it sounds like it's unlikely. But even still, I think the Mavs can hang 
I think the Mavs can hang without Luca again against the so. Jazz. Not not in the second so. round. Why not? Why not? I just I, I Utah has so many issues. They they do, but they're still fully healthy. They they are still one of the best teams in basketball, and um, I, I don't think they got that much worse from last year, where they were like a historically great regular season team. And I think this year they just faced more adversity. I remember Rudy Gobert was talking about it on ESPN. He was talking about like uh, the difference between this team and last team, last year's team is that uh, we faced more adversity throughout the season. Like there was a lot of more that we just went through more tougher times and more dog days. And he thinks that made them a better team. Like, I don't necessarily know if I agree with that, but what I do know is that Donovan Mitchell definitely improved from last year. Uh, Rudy Gobert is looking much better offensively, like forcing his own issue when he gets the ball way in the post. And uh, he's, he's been just better offensively. I would say overall more productive. Um, mm. I would say Hassan Whiteside being a, a replacement for Derek favors is uh, works wonders for them. Like that makes them yeah. so much better uh, in the non Gobert minutes. And they even have a little bit more lineup flexibility this year with Eric Pascal and Rudy Gay being on the team. So I almost feel like, yeah, this Jazz team isn't, like, tier one contenders. Like, they definitely aren't, like, competing with the Suns. But in terms of just the Mavericks without their primary creator, I mean, are they going to be able to take advantage of of the Jazz like the Clippers did? Because keep in mind, this Jazz team, it's not again, it's not the exact same team. This Jazz team was beating the Clippers with Kawhi Leonard before they, like, completely warped their offensive scheme to pull Gobert away. Like, when they were running a normal scheme, the Jazz were handily winning that series. Will the Ma- Do the Mavericks without Luka Doncic have the ability to stretch like that? Like, I don't know if they're willing to run, like, Maxi Kleba at the five. And even if they are, uh, can Maxi Kleba burn the Jazz yeah, out of a playoff series? Ask. That's a lot to ask of, of a guy like Maxi Kleber. Right, exactly. And it's just like... With Luca, that doesn't matter because no matter what, Luca's going to be a freaking wizard and just generate offense at just a historic level. But mm-hmm. uh, without Luca, I don't know if I can say with confidence that a Jalen Brunson uh, and Spencer Dinwiddie led offense is enough to like not only because because the Jazz their weakness in the playoffs is defense, mm-hmm. and they've had like a top top two playoff offense for back-to-back years before this and they've had the number one offense in the regular season so it's like they are probably the best offensive team in the league right now the problem is defense do you trust a Jalen Brunson and Spencer Dinwiddie led offense to not only uh make Utah's defense look really bad but also outgun their offense I just I just can't see it personally I think they need Luka back by game three to have a chance so to me I want to I want to rephrase what I said when I said they they I think they can hang with the Jazz without Luca. More so not that they could like make a competitive difficult series for the entire series if they were to not have Luka Doncic, but if like if if the Mavericks came out there in game 1 and 2 and they don't have Luka, I think they're capable of taking one game and buying That's time fair. for sure but, and it's in but Dallas. for a full for a full series i agree i don't see them hanging without without luka Doncic. that's that's a series the jazz would win in five uh okay then we agree yeah no most, we agree with but, that 
But one or two games without Luka, and they have to just win one and buy some time to get him back for game three, I think they could do that. Especially because they have home court advantage. And that's the thing, I agree. And I think the fully healthy Mavericks would definitely win this series. It's just a matter of when they can get healthy. They're eating the Jazz perimeter defense alive if they have Luka. It'd be interesting because I remember the last two times Dallas has played Utah, Luka was hunting the Gobert switch instead of like looking to get Gobert on the perimeter against like a wing. Uh, Mm -hmm. He wanted that matchup individually, which I I just, I think that would be like, that's the thing. I want Luka back, obviously, because I want Luka to be healthy. It's good for the league. He's one of the best players in the world. But like, Mm -hmm. could you imagine the content that would come from seven games of Luka hunting Rudy Gobert on a switch? Oh my gosh. like there would be just it he would just creates be moments so like fun. That. Like every right. time he plays against like big name players or like important players that have all these narratives surrounding them, he creates those moments. And like you know the numbers are great and everything, the X's and O's are great, but at the end of the day, like he creates those moments that just like give you goosebumps, and you're like, he does it this to guy, every this guy's team. Amazing. Think about it. When they faced Milwaukee, he wanted the Giannis switch the entire time, I and he was it. scoring every play. Dude, he feasted. He feasted. And he did that. He, he did that against insane. LeBron. He did that when they faced the Lakers. He was doing that to LeBron. Did it to Gobert. Um, he I, he did it to Kawhi in the playoffs. <laughs> it's like this dude lo- wants those matchups. And like I remember, I tweeted the stat. Like his numbers get better as the defenses get better. So do his numbers and efficiency. So it's like the dude clearly lives for these big matchups, and that's what I do. We need Luca back. We just the league needs Luca back. Yeah, for sure. So really, all that's left to talk about is the Phoenix Suns. And I, personally, for me, I don't really know what to say that hasn't already been said. They have a top five half court offense and top five half court defense. They have a top five overall offense and a top five overall defense in the NBA. I mean, what's what more? There's can only they do one at this thing point? you need to say about Phoenix. There's only one thing. They're the best team in basketball. They're the best yeah. team in basketball. They're the yeah. best team. They're the team. To Literally beat. the only thing, the only, the only question mark that you could put on them outside of Chris Paul's health, because that's always been a question oh, mark in the playoffs. God knows unfortunately. What's happen with but that. Outside of that, the only question mark that you can have about them is, is there another gear that they can go to? And I think what, so. What more can they do? Here's the thing, like, I think there are a couple things that happen. Okay, I'll just go down the roster. One, Chris Paul, it is known throughout his entire career, more notably these recent years, when the playoffs come, he looks to score a lot more than in the regular season. Like, he's looking to to hunt out those mid-range jumpers. Like, what did he average against Denver last year? Like, 26 points a game. Um, in the finals, like 22 points a game. Like now in the regular season, he's only averaging like 15. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets back up to 19 for the playoffs, 19 points a game. And I think that's him hitting another gear. Like, sure, he won't be the same high volume uh, stationary passer to off ball actions. But uh, I think he'll hunt for his own, own shot more. And I think that's good offense because not only does that lead to efficient shots for him, but him hunting for a shot and attacking the defense like that will open up shot quality for guys like Mikhail Bridges and Jay Crowder. Not only that, Devin Booker 
I think absolutely will have a an uptick in aggression on both ends. He's already so a too. very very high effort defender, but I think he'll he'll like leave it all on the floor every night and on offense. Like he's just he's just has so much offensive prowess that like a player like that can just damage your defense. Like even if he wasn't the most efficient last playoffs, there were still those games like LA where he dropped like forty six to close them out. Devin Booker is capable of doing that. Yeah. And uh, it's not just the backcourt either. Like DeAndre Ayton to me is a very clear playoff riser because of the way his offense, like his offensive game, um, him being like an all time great play finisher and just super well, the super well uh, disciplined and defending in space and things like that. Like there's he's just somewhat switchable too. like, he's like surprisingly switchable. Right, their team like, is not, like, he's not I'm not gonna say he's like the most switchable big in the NBA or anything like that, but he is he is a serviceable defender when he's forced to switch on pick and rolls and play against guards. Right, and then Mikhail and Jay can both defend bigs. And the big difference for me, uh, these are things that really don't get talked about too much. Last year against Milwaukee, keep this in mind, they went up 2-0, right? It was a six-game series, but they were up 2-0. Mm-hmm. Their backup center rotation was a mix of Frank Kaminsky and was it Dario Saric? Who it was? I think so. Yeah, Frank Kaminsky and Dario Saric. They changed that to Javale McGee and Biombo. I mean, yeah, that's an upgrade for sure. Javale McGee, especially like Javale's been amazing for them. Yeah, and it's like, mm-hmm. man, Phoenix to me is just. They were, they were, to me, the best team in the league last year. I think Milwaukee just got the better of that matchup. I still think Phoenix was the better team last year. And I think they got even better this year, and I don't know if any other team at that level got better. So, right. for me, like I said, Phoenix is the team to beat. They're just the team to beat right now. They're just – I think they're the best team in basketball, and I think fully healthy, that's my pick to win the championship. Yeah, I think, you know, I'd love to sit here and say, like, oh – Boston, Boston could win it all. Or the personally, the team that I want to win, if it's not the Bucks, because the Bucks are top three favorite teams in the league for me, um, outside of OKC. Uh, you know, if it's not the Bucks, then I want I probably want the Mavericks to win, just because I love Luca. But you know, we could sit here and say like, oh, these guys are dark horses for the finals. But the truth is, I mean, no one's better than Phoenix. It's just a fact. Like you can yeah. you can sit here and come up with all these different things that you want, like why these other teams could potentially upset them. And, you know, you never know what's going to happen. It's still certainly possible that these teams could upset them, but no team's better than Phoenix. It's just a fact. Um, really, the only thing I had to add on to what you said, and I've talked about it a little bit uh and I don't think we'll see it in the playoffs simply because they seem to have a pretty rigid game plan. They don't get too crazy and like trying new things. They know what works and they stick with it. And I think that's good. I think that's important uh, for continuity's sake um, and for establishing a strong airtight game plan. But one thing I'm really interested to monitor is DeAndre Ayton scoring uh, in the playoffs because people don't realize this. There's a lot of untapped mid-range scoring potential in DeAndre. Mm-hmm. He yeah. has he he could easily be a a premier mid-range big man very very soon. Next year it wouldn't surprise me if he 
upticked his scoring production to that 20 point per game threshold just from adding, you know, two, two, three more mid range attempts per game. He is, Mm -hmm. he's a, he's a very prom. He's an above average efficiency mid range scorer right now. And I don't know if they'll go to it this year, but if it's something that he breaks out in the playoffs, Ooh, no one's beating them. If he, if he adds that to his game, in, in the playoffs this year, and it's something he goes to, and it's something that the Suns lean on every now and then, and it's over. No one's beating them. Yeah, and it, I mean, it, this year even, he's uh, taken over 20% of his shots for mid-range, and it's it's a, it's ridiculous efficiency. Like 55.5% from 10 to 16 feet? Wow. Jeez. Wow. And that's on top of him being like, probably the second best player in the NBA from floater range right now. Oh um, yeah. He's behind Jokic, of course. Range. Like Jokic is Jokic from floater range is kind of uh not human <laughs> right broken. now. Like it's like 62% or something like that. But uh yeah. aim from floater range, it's not only just the, the, the just the short middies either. It's like uh, he has like a 75% post hook. I, I remember seeing that stat. It was like uh, these the list of starting centers in post hook percentage and Aiden was like by far first like rivaling Shaq efficiency in post hooks and I'm like damn dude like DeAndre Aiden is good and here's, also here's, on that stat go, no, ahead. go ahead go ahead you can go ahead so uh, some numbers for you for DeAndre Aiden according to cleaning the glass uh, from short from short mid range fifty nine percent. Yeah. Uh, inside of 14 feet, good for 93rd percentile. Long mid-range, mm-hmm. 43%, one percentage above league average, so just about average. Still still all right, uh, but from all it's mid-range shots... That those, in in, in between, ahead. below 14 feet, like uh, those short mid-ranges, it's on like one of the highest volumes in the league, too. It's not yeah. just like he's making them when they're open for him. Like He is legitimately taking and making these shots at a very high level. Mm-hmm. All mid-range shots for DeAndre Ayton, 56%. Yep. 56% on all mid-range shots. Insane. That's one of the best mid-range... I mean, I I don't have the numbers off the top of my head. That's one of the best mid-range efficiencies in the entire NBA from anyone who's actually attempting an okay amount of them. He's insane. If if it's something that he breaks out and and starts to really leverage, ooh, that's a scary player. That's a really scary player. Yeah, DeAndre Ayton's really really good. He's he's extremely. Would you say, would you say he's the most underrated player in the NBA? Bam out of bio. I literally made a tweet about this actually the other day. Oh, I said yeah, I think right. Bam is the most underrated player. Um, but Ayton's definitely up there for me. Same with Mikhail Bridges. Both of them are very yeah. very underrated to me. Um, but yeah, I, I wanted to throw this in there too. Uh, I know I'm a go bear guy, but on that same, uh, post up statistic thing, post hooks where Aiden was like 75% or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, my, my boy go bear was, uh, 15.4% <laughs> on post hooks. <laughs> that is, that is something dude. But you know, Deandre Aiden, like I said, I described him as as an all time great play finisher. Like he really is. Um, 
sometimes when I'm evaluating him as a player, like I don't know how high to go on his offense because like I don't realistically either, speaking, realistically speaking, I, I actually started like my my uh, I did like a rough draft for this season's uh, evaluations of my like my players, like my player list. And like, I feel like I could see an argument for Aiton to be like a top 30 player in the league right now. Oh, like, I wouldn't be surprised yeah, if he I ended agree. up there. And it's like, I don't know, man. Aiden's really good. And I'm, I'm just really excited to see how these playoffs unfold because I think Aiden is a clear playoff riser. I think he definitely yeah. is. And um, this Phoenix team is just filled with playoff risers and playoff players and the, arguably the best coaching in the league. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if this is one of those 2014 Spurs-esque things where they lost in the finals the year before they come back and they're just unbeatable by everyone. I wouldn't yeah. be surprised at all. Yeah, I, I I agree with that. Um, I think that's gonna do it for for this episode of uh, the Pin Down. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Be sure to follow uh, both of us on Twitter uh, at Alex Hoops YT at KG's Goat. Uh, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channels, uh, Alex Hoops and Hoop Venue. Uh, subscribe to the podcast uh, channel on YouTube, the Pin Down. You can find us on anywhere you get your podcasts. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you in the next one. <laughs>